Hi, and welcome to SEPA Stories. All right, so here we go. We are on episode one, season four. Welcome back as we explore more wonderful stories inspired by the wizarding world of Harry Potter. And today's wonderful treat I'm kind of getting back on the horse, writing all, uh, reading all kinds of wonderful things. This is a crossover fan fiction piece that is going to blend Twilight and Harry Potter. I particularly love these types of crossover fan fictions. They're just a lot of fun. Okay, so this one and this particular writer, this is a story that is a little bit older and... There are so many wonderful fan fiction pieces that are out there that are not, you know, expressively, you know, just brand new and written that were written a few years ago that if I'm able to reach out to the writer and I'm lucky enough to get a hold of them, um, I'm getting permissions to read some of these really fun stories. So if you're a fan fiction fan, you might have read this previously, but here we are with author's permission getting ready to read a Harry Potter Twilight crossover. Okay, so this story is titled Kismet. The author's name is Paramore Party, and this particular writer you could find on Tumblr, archive of her own, fanfiction.net, and she also has a Twitter account. Now, Parmer Party might be written differently. In some cases, it's all one word, depending on her site. In fact, let me see if I can back into that and tell you how you can locate this writer's work. It looks like she's got four stories, and she does look like... Um, this particular writer likes to do crossover pieces, and there's about four stories that are already written out there, uh, rated T to M's, and if you're looking for the other stories this writer has written, and I really like her style, you could find her on uh, Twitter, Paramore, Paramore Party, P-A-R-A-M-O-U-R, and then all one word, Party, with the P's capitalized. Archive of our own is Paramore, P-A-R-I-M-O-U-R, underscore, a little, like, underline, and then party. And then on Tumblr, Paramore and party as two separate words. On this fanfiction.net site, it is, let me get in here, open up my story, two separate words. So, all right, so this is a rated M. There is very much adult content where you will have lemony goodness. So this is not intended for younger audiences. And I do have a summary. Let's read the summary as written by the author Kismet. Um, summary is Paula Hoyt never got his hopes up on the whole imprinting phenomenon. Further, uh, forever the loner wolf on the prowl with no need of a leash. At least it was supposed to be that way. She'd only glanced at him for a second, but that second was enough to make his vision tunnel and focus only on her. I'll read it with a lot more flair and finesse, I promise. Okay, so this is a rated M. This is written in English. We have elements of romance and drama. This is a Hermione Granger and then Paul Lohoit from Twilight Pairing. We have three chapters, so it's a relatively short story to actually read. It'll be a little bit longer uh, to read out loud. This has several reviews and 
it has, it's got many followers. Um, it's been marked as a favorite by a few hundred people. This was updated on April the 22nd. I believe of 2015 or 16 and this was initially published in December of 2015. Uh, the status is complete so this is a complete story. So there is a sexual content and there is uh, of course harsh language and swearing so we do have you know like I said this is a more mature story so not for our younger audience please this is adults only. So with that, let's dive into this really hopefully kind of fun, sexy read, Kismet by Paramore Party, and I'm so excited to read this. We will begin the story now. Paula Hoyt never got his hopes up on the whole imprinting phenomenon. A supposed rare thing that left the majority of his pack paired off with their soulmates. Well, he knew there was he knew there was going to be that one wolf who wouldn't find that imprint. And he was okay with that, because he wasn't about to let the pack life take his love or rather sex life into its hands and run it like it did with the rest of his choices. Go to the bar and give the right woman the bedroom eyes and smirk, a few choice words, and he was in. Forever the lone wolf on the prowl with no need of a leash. At least, it was supposed to be that way. All he had wanted was a week off from pack business, seven days away from his brothers and the fucking bloodsuckers. Was that too much to ask for? It must have been, because as he walked down into the hotel lobby from his room in search of some lunch, his eyes met hers. She'd only glanced at him for a second, but that second was enough to make his vision tunnel and focus only on her. The hairs on his arm and the back of his neck rose in anticipation, and he felt himself tensing in panic. Fuck. Fucking course he'd find his fucking imprint while on a hiking trip in fucking British Columbia of all places. She wasn't at all like his usual flavor of tall, voluptuous, or easy. In fact, she was rather short in comparison to himself. She had minimal makeup on, and her hair was curly and tied up into what probably started out as a neat bun, or whatever it was called. And judging from the way she dressed in some expensive-looking silky summer dress, and held herself straight with some air of authority, she was way out of his fucking league. She wouldn't even look twice at him. Fuck. Fucking hell. He was fucking screwed. He blinked realizing he'd been standing there, drinking in the image of her, and slowly backed away from the lobby desk where she was checking in. Fuck. Lunch completely forgotten. Paul rushed back towards the elevators into his room, where he slammed the door shut and crouched with his head between his knees, trying to catch his breath. Shit. What was he going to do? A long jog in the mountains behind the hotel he was staying at reined in his infamous temper and cleared his mind well sort of he'd always thought his packmates exaggerated the intensity of attraction and emotions that came with imprinting but experiencing firsthand told him that wasn't true the instant rush of something not necessarily love but something so fucking close caught him off guard it was too good to be true Love at first sight didn't happen to people like him, and imprinting on a woman who probably would not give him a minute of her day, just a minute that. 
He clenched his fist, trying to tone down the anxiety that slowly built up within him. God, if he couldn't have her forever, at least, at least let him have her for the week. Just one perfect week with this woman who he's supposed to be his, his perfect fit. Fuck, it wasn't even about sex. Just let him bask in her presence. Let her acknowledge his existence. Let them be something more. More than just strangers for a week. That was all he wanted. He didn't cross paths with her again until late after supper. He was at the bar, trying and failing to drown away his angst when she stepped into the room. Gone was the summer dress, but she had slim-fitted dark pants on and a baggy sports sweater with an unfamiliar team crest on the front that slipped off one shoulder, exposing soft skin. She had her wallet in one hand and a book in the other, and she walked with purpose to the bar just a few seats away from him. Is the kitchen still open? she asked the bartender. Her voice was lower than he thought it would be, and the British accent surprised him, but God, it was perfect. He didn't know if it was the imprint magic or just her voice in general that made her sound sultry without really trying, but it made him wonder what his name would sound like if it came from between her lips. He tried not to seem like some creep staring her down, but it was hard. She was so close and still so far all the same. Paul didn't know how to open up conversation without seeming like he was only trying to get into her pants, and while he wouldn't turn down the opportunity if she offered it, it wasn't what he wanted at the moment. He watched as she received her order of food and drink and started to eat, but she hadn't once opened her book. A glance at the title had him grimacing. He remembered having to read the book for high school, a classic, his teacher had said, and although everything was considered a classic to his teacher, he, he never really paid much attention in English. She must have noticed his look because she glanced at him and quirked an amused smile. Catherine the Rye, not your type of book? she asked. Paul had to steady his breath and refrain himself from bringing a hard hand to his chest to ease the sudden skip in his heart. She was talking to him. His imprint was making the first move. Um, to be honest, I don't remember much of it. I never really paid attention to my classes in high school. He admitted slightly embarrassed and shrugged his shoulder. She gave a light laugh. Well, I can't really blame you. When there are sports to be played, who really needs books? Or so my best friends say. She said with a roll of her eyes. Paul chuckled and, thinking back to his high school days, agreed that sports were much more important to him then. Well, it wasn't until pack life kicked in. He moved to sit closer to her and ordered some food to clear out the little bit of alcohol from the system. What brings you to good old Canada? A little from home, aren't we? He asked. Passing through, I was on a work assignment, but I finished early, so I decided to stay and do some vacationing. She took a sip from her drink before continuing. How about you? Are you around from these parts? No. Washington. I needed a break from work and thought some hiking and camping would be nice, he replied. Paul watched her slight wince at his hiking comment, and he smirked. Hiking not your thing? he asked. She shook her head in disagreement. Oh, no, nothing like that. Just remembered a camping trip that, um, well, it went terribly. I came here to try to redeem camping, although I'm not actually camping since I'm not going out in a tent. A light blush dusted her cheeks as she continued to ramble, and it made her look all the more endearing. 
but I didn't have the courage to camp on my own, so I suppose the hotel had to do in the meantime. I thought hiking would be a step in the right direction. Nothing wrong with that, he said. If you'd ever like some company on your hikes, I'd be happy to join you. She blinked up at him in surprise at the offer, but she didn't pull away or look wary. She gave him a smile that had his heart beating faster and the alluring purr on pulling his inner wolf whining for more attention. I'd like that. Paul grinned and held out his hand to her. I'm Paul, by the way. Hermione, she replied as she placed her smaller hand in his firm shake and reluctantly let her hand drop from his. Have you tried any of the trails yet? Time seemed to slow and yet go by so quickly as they carried on their conversation and when their meals were finished, but stomachs not quite full. Paul ordered an assorted platter of appetizers for them to share. He was mesmerized by her, and he'd like to think that without the imprinting, when he was ready to settle down, he'd come to fall in love with her, or a woman like her, at least. The longer the night went on, Paul realized his imprint was too good to be true, and while he'd been wrong about the fact that she'd never looked twice at him, he was right about one thing. She was out of his league. There was no way someone as intelligent as and as successful as, as her would settle for a part-time electrician and shape-shifting, shape-shifting freak. At no time the bar was reaching its closing hours, and with a promise to meet in the morning for a hike, Paul watched Hermione walk away, a grin on his lips. Two days later, or technically nearly three, judging from the way the sun peeked through the open window, found Paul laying on his side, captivated by the sight beside him. His fingers danced across the expanse of naked skin, first across her shoulders, then down her spine, until they brushed against the edge of the thin sheet that covered the rest of Hermione's sleeping form. Pulling the sheet up to her shoulders, Paul kissed the back, the few curls that covered her face, and placed a soft kiss to her forehead. Then, as gently as he could, he slipped out of bed to stretch, and just taken the sight before him some more. God! He was so fucked. One week wasn't enough. But it's what he was going to have to settle for, no matter how much it made his heart ache. Picking up the book Hermione had on her bedside table, he walked as quietly as he could to the balcony. He needed air, or maybe a cigarette. Something just to release the tension that was building with the anxiety that came with the inevitable end of the week. He tried reading the book Hermione insisted he'd like, but memories of the night before were not easy to push away as the doubt he felt. He'd got what he wanted. They were no longer strangers, but now he wanted more. Was it greedy of him to want more, more than just a week? Paul briefly contemplated leaving the pack behind, following Hermione to England, but he couldn't do that to his family, and he couldn't ask her to do the same. Part of him wanted to regret jumping into bed with Hermione so quickly, but he couldn't. He didn't. Damn. Even if he had the chance to go back in time to prevent even meeting her, he wouldn't because he'd never felt so complete in his life, and he'd take the measly week of bliss over nothing. Just remembering the way she'd met him in the lobby the night before in a fitted, flirty dress that swayed with each step had him groaning. He'd pegged Hermione as too good to be true, and while that was still the case, he never thought she'd had a streak of trouble in her, too. And boy, was it dangerous. 
nearly personified trouble with her sexy smug and mischievous smirk that he wanted to wipe off her face with a deep breath-stealing kiss. A glint in her brown eyes told him her mind was constantly looking for another challenge to breeze through. They'd been dining with a group of hikers they met, or more like Hermione Befriended, on the trail, and the cozy small booth had given Paul an excuse to press a little closer to his imprint. That she didn't try to put space between them only gave him a raised brow, and he rested his arm behind her head, feeling a little more daring. Watching her sip at her glass of red wine, making her lips a little more red, had him licking his own in anticipation. He let her lean against him as she laughed, and she didn't seem to mind when his fingers traced light circles on her shoulder, or when he played with a curl or two as they all conversed. It was on her second glass of wine that had him noticing the change in her eyes. It was a glint that meant danger, and instead of warning him off, it tucked him closer. Hermione grew bolder then, letting her own hand rest on one of his knees, then a little higher on his inner thigh. He only smirked at her, and she just gave him this look that had him wanting her more than he'd ever wanted anything. Then, instead of parting ways in the lobbies as they usually did, she pulled him by the belt loops of his pants into the elevator with her. He smirked against her neck as he kissed the spot just below her ear before letting his tongue drag lazily down to the side of her shoulder, where he gave her a little nip. He whispered promises in her ear as she fumbled with her purse to find her car key. And then, when she finally opened the door to her hotel room, he had her in his arms, arms around her, lifting her, wrapping her legs around him. He kissed her then, stealing her breath away like she stole his, and he knew in that moment there was no going back. He was hooked. Hmm, I've always found it incredibly sexy when men read. Even better when said men are nearly naked and lit by the rising sun. It's like a perfect cover of a, of a harlequin novel, Hermione said from her sitting position in the bed. Her voice was still hoarse from sleep. Paul looked up from the page he'd been staring at without reading, single word, and then took in the sight of his imprint. Sex must hair, red marks along the side of her neck and down to her collarbone, and more than she hid with a thin sheet she'd wrapped around herself. His eyes darkened and he smirked. He prowled towards her and watched her own eyes darken. Good morning, he said as he put the book back on its spot before he leaned over her, hands sliding up her knees to her thighs, lips ghosting over her cheek. The hand not holding onto her sheet stroked a path up his arm and then around his neck. A good morning indeed, she murmured, her own eyes fluttering shut. He left a trail of light kisses down her cheek to the side of her lips before he claimed them, and Hermione hummed in satisfaction, letting the sheet pull around her waist so she could wrap both of her hands around him and pull him down onto the bed. His hands caressed her body down her arms, up her sides, around her back, gripping her from to pull her closer. The hitch in her breath and light moans spurred him on as he whispered more promises to her. Please, Paul, she grasped besides him and against him. He grinned against her. Don't worry, Dove, he said as he nipped her ear. You know I keep my promises. He left a trail of hot wet kisses from her ear down the side of her neck. His tongue drew a line across her collarbone and down between her breasts before he took one into his mouth, tongue swirling, teasing around her. 
His hand fondled her other breast, squeezing. Leaving her breast, he continued to leave a trail of kisses, licks, and bites down her body. His hands left firm strokes down her thighs as he settled himself between her legs, lifted them, placed kisses on her inner thighs as he let them rest over his shoulders. Fuck, she hissed when his fingers slipped home and curled at just the right spot. It's so sexy when you say fuck, he told her before his tongue was on her and leaving her breathless, aching against the bed. Much later, the sun was setting and it was bittersweet. The close of another day meant their inevitable end was drawing nearer, and he wasn't ready to say goodbye. Paul and Hermione lounged on the bench at the corner of her room's balcony. Hermione curled into his side. His arms wrapped around her as he read The Catcher in the Rye book aloud. It was in that moment that Paul realized he was quickly falling. Poor Hermione. Was it crazy to fall in love in just a few days? It had to be crazy. But the more he thought about it, Paul knew that, even without the imprint, that she was it for him. He didn't know exactly what it was, but there was just something about Hermione that made it easy to fall in love with her. Her very presence put him at ease. The thought of having Hermione by his side just clicked everything into place. It made sense. It just was. He shook the thoughts away. He didn't want to dwell on what he couldn't have. It'd make letting go that much harder when the day came. Everything okay? Hermione asked. There was a pause of silence between them. The words Paul wanted to say were heavy and stuck in his throat and sit dead. He looked down at her, grinned, and pressed a kiss to her forehead. Perfect, he said. Hermione's Imprint looked skeptical, and she took the book from his hands, put it aside. How can I make it better? Paul chuckled, raising his brows. Well, I can think of a few things to have a utopian evening, he replied. We can start with the dessert, and then take a break for some dinner. And if we're not full, maybe another round of dessert involving chocolate. In case we're full, we can have the chocolate sweet, nice and slow. His imprint laughed. You're incorrigible. But you love me for it. Hermione grinned and leaned up. Yeah, I do, she said just before, pressing a kiss to his lips. They had just passed the last of the security checks at the airport, and they stood off to the side out of the way of the other travelers. Paul's heart clenched at the frown pulling at his imprint's lips. They lingered for a moment, the air around them filled with uncertainty. Paul brushed back some curls from Hermione's face and then let his fingers dance down her arm before taking hold of her hand. There was a lump in his throat, and the words he wanted to say wouldn't come out. He felt her hands grip his hand tightly, her lips parting to say something, but she paused and her posture faltered. Paul pulled her in for a hug, holding her tight. I'm really happy to have met you, Hermione, he whispered in her ear, uncaring if his voice cracked. She squeezed him back. I'm happy to have met you too, Paul. She said her own voice low. He pulled away just a bit to see her face. If you're ever in Washington, come up to the Lepus I'll treat you to some to a real nice camping trip, he winked, and trying to lighten the air around them. Hermione gave a small laugh and smiled. And maybe try to join the modern age and get a phone, he said as he wiggled his brown in suggestion. That way we can try some of that sexy phone time. 
Hermione hit him lightly, but hugged him close again. You're an incorrigible fiend, she mumbled into his chest. Paul kissed the top of her head as he chuckled. Maybe. With one last squeeze, Hermione let go of him with a sigh. I should go, she said as she stepped away. Paul reached for her hand one more time, pulling her in for one last kiss, pouring everything he couldn't say into the action and hoping it'd be enough. And when they'd finally parted, Hermione stood back slowly, giving him one last smile. Goodbye, Paul, she said. He waved back, watched as she turned and walked away, blending into the crowd. He couldn't say goodbye, not when it meant the end of everything. He didn't know what he wanted. Instead, he let the words rest on his tongue, leaving behind a better, ashy taste that left him feeling sick. All right, chapter two. Hermione didn't look up from her desk when her office door opened to reveal Luna. We have to talk, was all her friend said as she closed the door behind her and set up a privacy ward. She didn't answer right away, letting Luna drop into the leather seat she had in front of her desk and get comfy. All the while, it gave her time to add some finishing details on her current case report. With the final flourishing signature on the file, she closed the folder with a sigh and turned her complete attention to her most whimsical friend. Did Harry put you up to this? I'd already gotten his posturing attitude yesterday with his extremely poor attempt at a good aura and bad aura routine with Ron. Luna corked an amused smile. I'm surprised they haven't yet realized they can intimidate you for information you're unwilling to share in the first place. Bloody Gryffindors to the soul, Hermione scoffed but smiled nevertheless. So, what have they tasked you with? Luna pulled two books out from a pocket she must have spilled bigger in her oversized knit cardigan. One was a yellow notebook that Hermione was very familiar with. The other was a thick, large tome of old magic. He passed along your notes, she started, and I'd apologize for his breach in privacy, but she left it hanging with a shrug. Hermione rolled her eyes. Don't worry, he shouldn't apologize on his behalf. She was very aware of Harry's snooping tendencies. She should have nipped that bad habit in a bud while they were still at Hogwarts. Good intentions or not, I should have cursed my notebook. Luna laughed. It would have been a good lesson for him to learn. I know their overbearing concern is no excuse for invading your privacy, but I suppose Harry's saving people thing just doesn't know when to quit. With that, she flipped through the notebook first. He and Ron are convinced the strain on your magic is some sort of curse. When put that way, Hermione couldn't really argue. Her magic had been acting out of, had been acting out for nearly three months. It could have been more, but she hadn't paid attention until the symptoms presented themselves in a way she couldn't ignore. She too first thought it was some sort of curse that put a strain on her magic and abilities. She waved her hand to put her case files away and to make space on her desk, but instead of having the files piling neatly on the shelf behind her, it all curled into one giant paper ball. She sighed, tried again, only to succeed on her fourth attempt. Luna frowned. How long has this been happening for, exactly? A while. I only noticed about three months ago. I went to St. Mungo's right away, and they've cleared me for curses and ailments. I even had Bill and Fleur check for curses, she said resigned. I've told all this to Harry and Ron already. They worry. I know. Luna, bless her, pushed aside that train of conversation for the moment, and Hermione was thankful to follow her lead. She pointed to a small blurb in her notebook. 
I've been going through your research, and I figure it was best to get at here before the dynamic duel decides to come around for a second go of interrogation. All of your notes are thorough, except for here. You didn't continue your thoughts on this one. Why? Hermione pursed her lips in confusion as she looked over the heading on the paragraph. I didn't think bonds were applicable, and St. Mungo's never offered it as a valid concern. She tapped on a small asterisk on the side of the margin. Ali even put a note there because Fleur mentioned it, but I stopped after a few reads when it said all rituals were required, which I know I haven't taken part in. Understandable, Luna nodded. St. Mungo's wouldn't have brought it up because it's usually considered a private matter. Unless you disclose a bond and inquire about any bond sickness. And no offense, Hermione, despite all the change, there's still discrimination amongst the population. Think about who's leading the medical board right now, and whether they'd believe Muggleborns are properly educated on old magic beyond an introductory level. Or even if they believe a Muggleborn would even conduct a proper ritual of old. Everyone knows it isn't the sort of subject that's even really touched on in Hogwarts. Hermione scowled at that. She suspected something along the lines of lying by admission. So you're implying I should have followed Fleur's advice from the start and just made an appointment with her cousin for a proper well-rounded checkup? Annoyance cursed through her veins. Luna patted her hand comfortably. I'm still not sure I'm following you, though. How can the strain be a bond problem? Luna smiled and then opened her tome to a section she tabbed off with a bright, blinking pink sticky note. Well, you're right. The majority of bonds require a ritual of some kind. She pointed to her text that had been had bold cursive hitting the ritual examples. Some rituals Hermione recognized. She'd come across a lot of them in her own research. And they were arranged under bulleted subcategories like marriage, blood, and potions. The more she read through, the more other rituals she hadn't heard of before seemed to pop up. Luna tapped a topic under the sex bullet point. Don't forget, Hermione, that magic, especially old magic, works with intent. Subconscious or not, if magic recognizes it, it can probably initiate a bond, especially during sex, sex rites and all that. Yes, Hermione started slowly with a frown, but wouldn't that only be if both parties have the same intent? And how can magic know it's not two randy teenagers thinking they're in love forever? This doesn't make any sense. I believe magic is sentient enough to know the difference between love and lust. Hermione crossed her arms over her chest. Well, regardless, intent or not, still stands that both parties conscious of it or not have to be aligned to even start a legitimate or so-called sex bond. Was there someone then? Luna asked, a curious tilt to her head and expression. Hermione sputtered. I mean, I, you know, I haven't dated in a while. And then there was just that one man a few months ago, but it couldn't have been him. Anyway, he was a muggle. Are you sure he was a muggle? I checked. Luna blinked. And why did you check? If it was just a fling, as you say. Why did you feel the need to check? Hermione froze, unsure. Did your magic recognize him? I... Hermione fell silent, trying to think back on her encounter that seemed like ages ago now. I really, I didn't really think about it then. I just, instinct, my magic just felt settled, I suppose. It would be the best way to describe it, comfortable even. And I just wanted to check if he had an allure or something like Fleur. I, I, I don't know. 
Magic isn't always logical, Luna said. As I've said, it's sentient. Magic knew and then it acted. Hermione snorts. That's a frustrating reality I've faced almost every day since I've discovered I'm a witch. Silence fell between them as she thought over the implications. You saw something, didn't you? Luna didn't confirm or deny anything, and Hermione took that as a yes with a sigh. If this wasn't you, Hermione, and you just heard about magic acting on its own and creating a bond between two people who somehow, some way, chose each other at the exact same moment, even subconsciously, what does that sound like to you? Luna asked as she flipped through her tome, stopping on a page that detailed a spell she wasn't familiar with. The spell page detailed an outcome of seeing if an existing bond is there and the type of bond it is. A glance at the ingredients for the potion work. Hermione knew it fell on the darker side of the gray spectrum of light and dark magic. Hermione grimaced. I don't think I like where you're leading me to. I'm not sure I believe in soulmates. Luna shrugged again. You might not, but magic does. They do the spell a week later on a night of a blood moon. The potion work was simple, all things considered, and the rune work a little tedious. But when she'd finished the golden blade they'd soaked in their potion for seven hours to carve the last rune directly onto a purified onyx obelisk the size of her palm, and let five drops of her blood coat it, Hermione felt a pull on her magic, and a second later golden light erupted, flooding her vision. When the light faded, she was no longer with Luna, but on her living room floor. She was in her hotel room in British Columbia. She was sitting on her hotel's balcony, settee with Paul's hand resting on her lap. It was nighttime. The air was chilly, but Paul radiated heat like a furnace. A tidbit about him she probably should have questioned before, but hadn't really noticed until now in this memory. The stars that night were brighter in the sky than she'd seen them in a long time, but she didn't give them much more attention than that either, completely focused on Paul. She looked down at him, and he smiled up at her. She couldn't deny that her magic seemed to hum pleased with his intention and attention. She brushed back his dark hair from his face. She remembered this night. It was her last night before flying back home. What are you thinking about? Her memory self asked him. How lucky I am to be here right now, Hermione laughed. I'm being serious. Paul smirked. Yeah, so was I, Dove. She squatted his shoulder, but ducked to hide the faint blush that spread across her cheek. He always did have that ability to make her blush for every little thing. Paul turned in her lap, pressed a small kiss to the spit of skin exposed in her stomach. I was also, he started, started thinking about what to do next. What do you mean? He shrugged. Existential crisis? Hermione waited patiently for him to continue if he wanted to. There was only a moment of silence before he broke it with a sigh. I don't know how to explain it, but I guess. When I was in high school, I thought the path I found myself on was forced on me, like I had no choice in the matter. I had to do this for my family. I had to do that for my tribe. I went along with it. Accepted the responsibilities. No question asked. And looking back on it, I didn't fully embrace what was given to me. That fate or some higher power put me on that path for a reason. And I'd wasted so much time being angry about it, fighting against it instead of working with it. And now, now that I want to work with what I have, it's still something I won't have a choice over. I can't be selfish and put myself ahead of it. And is that 
That was a lot. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to ramble on you. Hermione shook her head and pulled him up into a seated position to hold him close. Don't apologize for that, for speaking your feelings. She leaned close to press a gentle kiss to his lips. I can't say I know exactly what you're feeling as I haven't lived what you've lived, but I can say that I do know what it feels like to be trapped into something you didn't choose. Those thoughts of why me, why this, I know how it feels to want to be selfish, to focus on you instead of the greater picture. And at the end of it all, I think sometimes you have to be selfish. You have to keep giving and giving and giving, giving to friends or family or even out into the world. You can lose yourself in that and it's just too much. Sometimes you need to take. And whatever this want or desire you have right now, if it's something you want to act on, she shrugged. Maybe you should do it. Be selfish. There was a look in Paul's eyes that was different that night, more tender, softer. There was a joy in it, but something about it felt defeated. Hermione remembered then when Paul was gently leading her back to the room, onto the bed. He was showering her with care and sometimes something so close to love it made her heart ache longing and sore at the same time because this was what her magic was looking for. She couldn't say it was love because they didn't know each other well enough for that, but what if they let things be and followed their instincts? There was a niggling, briefly passing thought of, what if I tried to make something more work with Paul at the back of her mind, and her magic latched onto it because, as Luna said, magic knew. Magic was sentient, and she had to just trust in it and herself. She remembered how many times that night she wanted to tell him that she could love him given the chance, but at the time, thoughts like that were madness, lust, lost in a moment of pleasure, but even so, it was there. The words, I could love you, at the tip of her tongue as she surged up to meet his lips in a searing, heated kiss, I want to love you, hidden behind clenched teeth and disguised with a needy moan when it wanted to escape. God, you're perfect, Dove. Paul groaned against the column of her throat when she ground down against him. He pressed hot, opened mouth kisses against the shell of her ear before nipping at her neck and down to her shoulder. There was something in the way his hands caressed her body like she was someone to be worshipped, the way his lips didn't leave any spot of her body unkissed or unloved. The way he held her close that night felt like he didn't want to let her go. His whole being just surrounded her, and she realized, around Paul, she felt safe, cozy, warm, almost like, oh, Paul felt like home. So beautiful and perfect and mine, he told her as he brought her over the edge. Yours. She agreed, and she hadn't noticed then how her magic wrapped around them both. Oh, yours, Paul. Instead, memory, Hermione, writhed against him, just focused on pulling him closer in need. Their tangled limbs joined and moving together. Please. Gold light flooded her vision again, and just as the feelings from that night rushed through her like a wave, when Hermione opened her eyes again, she was back in her apartment. Luna must have helped her onto the couch because they'd previously been set up on her living room floor. Her skin felt like it was on fire. Her body heated at the relieved sensations. She was flushed. 
but grateful when Luna made no other move to come close until she seemed to catch herself, and when she calmed, Hermione slowly explained what she saw, a slight flush to her face she couldn't control. It worked, then, Luna smiled when Hermione stared up at her in surprise. Good. Well, depending on your feelings on the matter, this is either good or bad news for you. You have a soulmate. It must be a faint soul bond because it's incomplete, Luna said as she pointed to the glowing obelisk. Hermione hadn't realized she was still holding on to it. But from what I can see, it's gold. Hermione leaned over and held her head in her hands. He was a muggle. I don't understand how this could have happened. And you're sure he was a muggle? Hermione nodded. Pretty sure. I had set up a muggle repellent ward one afternoon while I was working with the aconite I found off the trail. She frowned. Well, how did I think about it? I think he was able to throw off the confusion faster than most muggles. He was persistent in coming back to where I was cultivating it. I wonder if he knew I was there and seeking me out. Luna hummed. Perhaps he's not completely muggle. Hermione slumped over the armrest of her couch with the wine at the back of her throat. I know I love a good puzzle, but this, this is too much. It's not like you have to marry the man tomorrow. You technically don't even have to marry your date or whatever if you don't want to, Linda said. You could just complete the bond, which would fix the strain, and then go your separate ways if that's what you wish. You know it wouldn't be that simple. If it's old magic like you say, Hermione groaned, what am I going to do? Her friend rubbed her back in comfort. Sleep on it. Take that leave Harry's been hounding Kingsley to give you. And when you're ready, you can decide what you do. I can just picture it now, she whined. Sorry, Paul. I know it was probably just some vacation fleeing, and you probably think I'm a desperate <laughs> harlot, but apparently my magic decided that you're my soulmate. And the fact that we haven't even completed our bond, so <laughs> unintentional and apparently ritual sex, means I'm probably going to die a slow and exhausting death due to my ma strained magic. And, oh, by the way, I'm also a witch. Surprise! Luna laughed and somehow managed to still and ease the tension in the room. I'm sure you'll have a better speech plan by the time you see him again. You wouldn't be Hermione Granger if you didn't. You're so sure I'm going to see him again. Luna simply smiled again. It was that sometimes annoying, all-knowing smile of hers, the one she must have learned from George. Hermione could only respond with a weak laugh. I trust you. You should trust your magic, too. All right, friends, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back. Hi, and welcome back to Sepa Stories. We are continuing Kismet. We are mid-chapter two. We will continue now. The next evening, after Kingsley approved her two-week vacation and an additional month-long leave of absence, Harry barged into her apartment uninvited. And if Hermione knew her friends well, Ron was probably not too far behind, most likely with food in hand. Harry just walked right into her kitchen, shepherding her to her dining table, interrupting her research, and set about making coffee. Want us to come along? he asked once he knew she was paying attention to him and not her research. No, Harry. Why not? Well, for one, you have work to do, and for another, I can handle myself. What about backup support? You don't know the meaning of backup support. Before you had Luna take over the reins, you tried to put a good, bad aura on me into listening to you and Ron. 
Harry shrugged and set her favorite blue mug in front of her with fresh coffee, sweetened just the way she preferred it. Sorry, not sorry. And just as she thought, she heard her front door open and close again, though softer this time, before Ron poked his head through the entryway to her kitchen and dining space. Safe? Any explosions clean up? He stepped through once he saw it was calm and civil. Hermione rolled her eyes, but accepted the container of Molly's baked goods with gusto. No, Ron, she replied as she peeled the bottom wrapper from one of the muffins. And before you ask, no, you don't need to come along. Ron looked affronted. Why not? That's what I asked, Harry chimed in. Not good enough, are we? She didn't like our good, bad, or our act. Told you she wouldn't. You don't listen to me, mate. Hermione ignored their banter and focused instead on her muffin and summoning back her research from the living room. It took a moment, but eventually her small pile of books set itself beside her and a map unfurled in front of her. She pulled the container of baked goods closer to contain the crumbs onto one spot. Paul said he lived in La Push. With Luna's help, she'd shrunken the obelisk and turned it into a pendant, after testing it over a basic map of North America. It did as she thought it would, act as a pendulum, pointing towards Washington. Then they'd pulled up a more detailed map of the state and watched it point to a dot named La Push. Her heart raced with anticipation. She couldn't believe she was going to do this. There wasn't a huge magical community in Washington, but there was a small alley in Seattle that she should stop in for some research and maybe set that as a place to stay. She was firm on having more research as her first step on her to-do list. Earth to Hermione, Ron waved his fingers at her from across the table. She blinked and looked up at his worried expression. Um, are you sure you don't want us there? Ron asked. I'm sure. Thank you, though. Harry frowned unconvinced. It's just a safety measure, Hermione. He sighed. Look, how about we come up to Washington with you, but we'll stay in the alley. You can do whatever you need to do and meet with the bloke, but if you need us, we'll just be a pop away instead of several. Hermione bit her lip, tempted by the offer, but she knew her friends. Her lovely but hard-headed friends would sometimes say one thing, then still bulldoze their way through later. The ways of the Gryffindor. I'll think about it. Hermione grinned, and what little tension had been holding onto his shoulders dropped. That's Hermione speak for yes. No, it isn't. Ron and Harry waved her off and settled at the table. Yes, it is. Look, we'll compromise. We won't come down during your whole vacation. We'll just be in town while you meet him, just in case. Magic might have deemed him as a soulmate for you, but we don't know what can happen. Ron nodded. Besides, we know you. You'll end up exploring the alley before buckling up and heading down to wherever this man lives. Fine, fine, but you have to promise you're both staying in Seattle, unless I say otherwise. She smiled softly at her boys. And thanks. We wouldn't let you do this alone. They left at that. <sighs> Why are you researching anyway? Ron asked, though there was a lot more muffled due to the muffin he was stuffing his face with. The years of listening to Ron talk with his mouthful must have trained her. Something Luna said had me thinking. Maybe he wasn't completely muggle, which should explain how intent on both of our parts could start a bond. But you said he was affected by your ward, Ron asked. He was, somewhat. Thinking back on it, I think he was able to fight off the confusion and suggestions of leaving a lot quicker than most muggles, and always came back within ten minutes of leaving the ward boundaries. And when I finally let down the wards, he was pacing just beyond the boundary. He looked relieved when he saw me instead of just checking on the area I'd warded.
I think he was looking for something, like he knew something was persuading him from leaving. Are you sure he wasn't just being some sort of possessive asshole looking for you? Hermione shrugged. I wouldn't know for sure, but my magic never warned me of danger around him. I'm more confused on how someone can't be completely muggle, Harry said. Nodding, Hermione opened her notebook. First, I thought the muggle had bitten maybe by a werewolf or a vampire, but honestly, I would have noticed a mark. She glared at Ron's single eyebrow wiggle. Grow up, Ron, <laughs> anyway. Then I thought, half human, half animal, or maybe some other humanoid like a vela, but that list is extensive. And then I thought, maybe just an enhanced muggle? She pointed to the map of the alley. I'm hoping the alley will have some answers for me. She sighed. She knew that she had her work cut out for her. The alley in Seattle wasn't at all that different from Diagon, and after three days of perusing the bookshops and talking with locals about the local lores and history, finding zero answers, she knew she couldn't procrastinate any longer. She coordinated with Harry and Ron, and they decided a weekend would be best for them to arrive given at the time difference. Though after breakfast that morning, she saw them spending probably too much time and money at the Quidditch shop. In hindsight, that shouldn't have surprised her, and honestly, it was probably best to have them preoccupied by Quidditch than having them barging in uninvited, no matter what they promised. Hermione was having lunch at the usual spot she discovered on her first day in the alley. She had ordered her usual and paid at the counter before making her way to her private booth near the back of the diner. She stared out the window, watching people go about their business, and tried not to stress too much over seeing Paul again. Luna might have thought she'd gotten everything under control before she left, but as things were, she still felt extremely unprepared and unfocused. She spent a lot of the last few days just thinking about Paul. Before finding out Paul was her soulmate, she didn't really like to think back on her memories with him. Not because she regretted it, because she didn't. No, she just didn't like the way her magic pulled at her, and the thought of him pushing forward a sense of what if, always what if, and the way almost every thought of him had her magic, feeling somewhat lonely and longing, just made her push the memories back even more. The remainder, a reminder that something in her wanted more and she denied it, it upset her more than she was willing to openly admit out loud. Instead, she ignored the pull, the magic. Paul and the memories of the vacation all together had kept busy with her work instead, and now here she was dealing with the consequences, and it all kind of made sense. She didn't know why she hadn't seen it sooner, aside from being stubborn, she supposed. But after relieving the memory, the spell somehow had shown her many days ago, she'd come to recognize something about Paul. Paul felt like home. She didn't know how else to describe it, no matter when it was during that vacation, whether early in the morning runs or late in the evenings after a playful bout of fun, being with Paul just felt like her magic was coming home. Safe and warm and cozy at its finest, like she was curled up in her favorite chair with her book on her lap, with her favorite drink in her hand in front of a fireplace, content, like nothing could go wrong because Paul was there. It was, it was fascinating and overwhelming coming to that conclusion. Where are you heading to next, Hermione? Christine, the waitress's voice cut through her thoughts as she set down her lunch and soda.
Hermione smiled gratefully as she pushed aside her maps and answered before taking a sip of her drink. I'm heading west, some personal business. Christine blinked and glanced at the maps on the table. West, huh? Well, looks like you're passing through Port Angeles. You want to keep your eyes open and wand in hand. Hermione paused. Why? She leaned against Hermione's table, sitting her tray against her hip. A few years ago, that area was a big center of vampire activity. Better safe than sorry. Magic attracts magic and all that, so I wouldn't be surprised if vampires can't be the only ones lurking around that area. Thanks for the tip, Christine. I'll be sure to be careful over there. I'm surprised it hasn't come up in my local research. Are there any articles or something about it, or if it extended to any of the reservation areas? Christine tapped the table with her pen and thought. Hmm. The library might have an archive or some local papers talking about animal attacks. I wouldn't know exactly how far the activity went, to be honest. Um, but from memory, Port Angeles and Forks were hotspots for a bunch of newborns, and we'd been warned to steer clear from it until it was contained. She started to write things down on her notepad and passed that to Hermione. These might also be some of the towns and cities that are known hubs. I wouldn't be too worried about the reservations, though. Most tribes have old magic in place for the protection of their land. They do, Hermione blinked. I hadn't found anything like that from my readings. She briefly wondered if she was losing her touch on their researching capacities. Oh, not too surprising. It's mostly spoken word and tradition. You don't find too many, um, if any, books here. Do you know what kind of protections they have in place? It varies from my understanding. Some have wards in place, others have spirit guardians, there's been rumors of muggle shifters. I'm not sure how likely that actually is. Not everyone at the reservation is in the know because they're mostly muggle in tune with the elements. More often than not, it's really only a need-to-know basis, she shrugged. The community here is probably a little different than you're used to. Bakuza usually leaves the smaller communities to police their own. When that vampire fiasco was going on, they observed at a distance, but evidently left it to those involved and the Volturi. That's fascinating. Thank you so much for telling me, Christine. I really appreciate it, she smiled. No worries. Next time you're in town, be sure to come by. Hermione smiled in return, and though she had a lot more to think about now, though she had a little more information than she did before. After Hermione picked up her rental car, she sent a quick message to Harry and Ron before sitting out on the road. They sent back their love and support and assured her that everything would be okay. The drive away from the city, for the most part, was quiet. The radio was on low volume for some background noise, but the deeper she got into the long expanse of the near-empty roads and trees with very few buildings or houses in between, Hermione started to feel slowly overwhelmed. After hours of driving, with only one ten-minute pit stop halfway to her destination, she saw the sign welcoming her to the Lapush Reservation. She focused on her breathing while she decided that an outsider parking by the bench probably wouldn't seem too strange. She'd read that it was a popular spot for locals and tourists alike, even though it was in the middle of November, and no one in their right mind would actually take a dip in the frigid waters. Parking and cutting the engine, Hermione heaved a big sigh, exhausted and unused to driving for more than an hour at a time, especially on the other side of the road. 
But the car turned off. It was getting a little chilly. So she zipped up her leather coat just a little higher and then reached for her mobile phone and checked to see if Harry had messaged her. There was nothing new, and she hoped her friends were actually listening to her for once and were just waiting for her signal instead. She dropped her phone back into the cup holder. Now she just had to figure out where Paul was without seeming like a creepy stalker about knowing where he lived thanks to a point-me spell. She groaned and thought about just showing up at his doorstep like a psycho. What was she even thinking? How did she even think she could just come here and insert herself into his life? How could she even assume that he'd be free to talk to her? She couldn't hold back on the anxious thoughts she'd held at bay with the focus of the drive. She refrained to her best of her ability to stop herself from smashing her face into her steering wheel, of having some semblance of her control of something. Alone for the first time in a long time, no friends hovering in the background or work keeping her busy, well and truly alone in the middle of nowhere, overwhelmed to be bonded to a near stranger. She groaned into her steering wheel, all composure lost for a few seconds so she could pull at her hair anxiously. Sure, she and Paul had their fun, and it was all, that's all it was supposed to be, but somehow her magic decided to choose this man as a soulmate for her. Trust in her magic. She could hear Luna's voice in the back of her mind. Trust in Luna. She could hear her inner hairy voice say, For all that Luna sometimes spoke in a language all her own, when Hermione got over herself and how badly she treated her friend as a student, she realized Luna would never steer her wrong. Maybe steer her in circles for a bit with riddles, but never wrong. If Luna had seen something and gently encouraged Hermione to trust in her magic, then maybe, just maybe, it wouldn't go so bad. She just had to rationalize things in a more methodical manner. Thinking back to the man logically and the little things about him that she'd ignored, how his body temperature was always warm, and naturally so, or how perceptive her needs of her needs and how in tune he was, something that had taken years of school and a word to hone that instinct in her friends. Those are the things she should have noted at the time, but didn't. The biggest giveaway should have been the way his presence changed things just little by little, like how after the war her magic had always felt like a burning fire waiting to be unleashed on the next big fight, but when she met him, it calmed and settled at their first handshake. How despite only knowing him for a few days, she'd felt safe and protected, like magic knew he'd be at her side fighting just as aggressively as Harry or Ron would if she were in danger. Well, she didn't even know if he was seeing someone, her hands tightened over the steering wheel at the thought of that. She could imagine that conversation now almost as bad as showing up unannounced. Apparently you're seeing someone now, totally understandable, but to save my magic and me, I need you to complete some ritual sex with me, and then you'll never have to see me again. <laughs> wow, she hated that thought of never seeing him again, especially after realizing how much Paul really felt like home. It was crazy how the more she thought about it, the more she knew she was just wasn't going to go to Paul, complete the bond like some wham-bam, thank you ma'am, and go back home. She just couldn't leave it like that without a proper discussion. She should have probably planned for something like this. She took in another deep breath to center herself and follow Luna's advice. Trust in her magic. 
she repeated in her mind, a near desperate mantra. She clutched at the obelisk pendant. It was warm under her touch, proof that her natural magic was still alive within it. It felt warmer now, and she wondered if somehow sensed how close she was to her soulmate. A knock on her car window had her jumping in her seat. Caught off guard, she saw two women standing by the car, one bored-looking woman busy on her phone, and the other, the one who knocked on her door window, looked concerned but friendly. Hermione cautiously rolled her window down but palmed her hidden wand. The woman smiled at her. Um, hi, sorry, I didn't mean to scare you, she started. I was just worried you'd been sitting there and kind of looked lost. We'd be happy to help you if you need assistance. Hermione flushed, embarrassed that her small mental breakdown had been witnessed. She opened her door and stepped out of the car. Um, sorry to have worried you. I'm not actually lost, just looking for someone. She held out her hand in greeting. I'm Hermione, by the way. Kim, the woman said. That's Leah. And we pretty much know everyone in town. Comes with living in a small community. I'm sure we can help you find them if they live here. Hermione moved to shake hands with Leah, but the woman merely waved her hand in greeting instead and turned her back to the phone turned back to her phone with that hermione looked back at kim who just shrugged at her friend's antics i'm looking for a paul the white he tells me he lives here but i realized i don't know his address and he didn't have his phone number and wow this just makes me sound crazy doesn't it Hermione gave out a nervous laugh and didn't miss the shared look between the two women at the mention of Paul's name. It's important that I speak with him. She hoped that whatever look conveyed wasn't a bad thing. Her heart started racing at the realization of how extremely unprepared she was for this. Her Gryffindor was showing at the most inopportune moment. Paul, yeah, we know him. Can I ask how you know him? Hermione schooled her expression to have some level of poise, not wanting him to think she was some kind of whore. She ignored the cold look in Leia's eyes. As it was, it might be that Leia thought she was one already. Hermione didn't want to even know what that look was directed at her. Any possible current ex-girlfriend was a territory she didn't even want to think about. Um, friendly acquaintances? Um, we met on vacation, she winced. What a bloody fantastic first impression she was making on Paul's friends or family. I see, Kim trolled off, glancing back at Leia, who continued to text away on her beeping phone. Well, he's been pretty busy lately, and he hasn't been home much. Might actually be out of work right now, but we can definitely pass along the message that you're looking for him. Hermione tried not to look too disappointed and nodded. Please, and, and thank you, I really appreciate it. She turned back to her car to reach for her wallet and missed the way Leah nudged Kim sharply. When Hermione turned back to them, Kim was looking over something on Leah's phone. That's my mobile number while I'm here, Hermione said, holding out a small, cream-colored card with her name and address typed in embossed gold lettering. Underneath it, handwritten by a pen, was a phone number. I might not be on the reservation as I'm staying in Seattle, but I'm willing to make the drive back when he's free. Kim took the card and pocketed it with a smile. Uh, you know, um, any friend of Paul is a Paul of ours. We can show you around for a bit if you'd like, and Leah spoke up for the first time, though her bored expression hadn't changed. If I remember right, he might be back this evening. She paused and looked at Kim's stern look. We can keep you company if you're willing to wait a bit. 
Oh, I wouldn't want to intrude on any plans. Kim shook her head. Don't worry about it. We were just going to head out for food. You're welcome to join us. How long are you in town for? I hadn't really given myself a deadline, to be honest. I just really needed to speak with Paul. She looked at the duel a little more carefully. If Paul wasn't entirely muggle, there was a chance that these women were like him as well. And if they weren't, they would probably know more about the local lore, or maybe even where to find the information. I'm thinking at least a week, perhaps longer. What do you usually do for fun around here? Hermione followed beside Kim and Leah as they pointed out spots they usually spent their free time when the weather was less chilly. But with the gloomy weather taking a turn for some drizzling rain, they decided to just step into the restaurant. Kim, the lovely woman, didn't seem to mind all the question Hermione had about the reservation in the community. She tried to inquire about the bear attacks, but they'd both said it that they didn't get close to their parts, with only one instance with her friend Emily that swiftly changed the subject. Bears are rare around here anyway. Our lands are known more for wolves, Kim said, earning a warning glance from Leah. Hermione parked up at that. Is it dangerous? Leah shook her head as she twirled a straw in her glass water. No, the wolves protect our lands. And we have a long history with the animals. Hermione hummed in thought, wondering if this was what Christine meant. Perhaps their history with the wolves made the animals their spirit guardians of a sort. It made sense that vampire activity hadn't gotten too close with wolves on the lands. Vampires tended to stay clear from any wolves in general, a natural dislike for them set from their being. They'd just gotten their orders when Hermione's magic sparked with energy that had her sitting up at the sudden change. She heard the jingle from the bell attached to the front door of the restaurant when it opened and closed. Her heart started racing, her magic telling her that if she turned around she'd see Paul. Hermione hesitated, frozen at a small thought of anxious, this is it. She saw an odd understanding and less cold expression take over Leia's eyes and a brightening smile on Kim's as they looked towards something, someone behind her. Hermione turned around, and as she thought, Paul was standing there. He looked a little more tired than when she'd last seen him. His hair was damp and he looked a little winded, but the warmth in his eyes was the same. The smile was the same, and again, even after months of not seeing or being near him, her magic had the same reaction. A small flare in recognition, and then it settled into comfort and safety. The feeling of home away from home coming back like a cozy blanket over her shoulders. She hadn't realized how much the strain of their incomplete bond pulled at her magic until just then, when it calmed for the first time in months. She stood from her seat as her soulmate approached. She liked to think that his smile brightened when she saw him and wondered if even a small part of him also felt the strain somehow. His hands were on her shoulders first when he reached her. His eyes seemed to drink her in, and she tried not to blush as a sudden and slot of memories brought themselves to the forefront of her mind. Even the way her name slipped between his lips was the same fond and full of an emotion she couldn't describe. Hermione, he said as he pulled her into a hug. Hello, Paul. She smiled into his chest and had a feeling that maybe everything was going to be okay. All right, good friends, we are on our final chapter, chapter three. And we are 
diving in. This is a rather long chapter, so we may have a break in between. We will begin chapter three now. A persistent headache kept Paul from wanting to get out of bed for longer than it took him to shift into his wolf form and inform Sam via worth telepathy that someone else would have to cover his patrol. Any bright lights and loud noises sent sharp stabbing pains behind his eyes and sudden movements didn't help with the migraine and nausea. Shutting himself in his bedroom all day seemed like the best course of action for recovery. The last few days in particular should have clued him into his coming migraine. There had been a strange pulling sensation at the back of his mind all week, one that aggravated his headache and nothing he did eased that pull. Dark bedroom curtains were drawn closed to keep the light out. Hydration and pain meds only helped so much, and Paul just felt drained. Physically, mentally, and emotionally wrung out and quickly reaching his what's end. As the morning passed into afternoon, the pulling sensation seemed to go into overdrive, his wolf going on high alert with a need to search for something. But when he stood, nausea made the room spin instead. He groaned, cracked open his window for a brief moment of fresh air before flopping back down onto his bed. He merely pulled his blanket over him, scowling into his pillow. The pulling sensation reminded him briefly of his time with Hermione, how his wolf was almost always hyper-aware of her presence or proximity. He tried to ask discreetly if this was a common sensation amongst those in his pack who had imprinted, but didn't get any clear response. He assumed then that it might be something unique to each couple. Regardless, it made no sense to associate this feeling with Hermione, not when she was out on the other side of the world living her life. He tried not to think about it too much, tried to play things off as normal again, but it just left him feeling somewhat hollow. Remembering Hermione was always bittersweet with the lingering hope of what could have been. A pounding noise shook him from his throat, from his thoughts, and he groaned. The only person who threatened to break down his front door these days was Jared. He wondered if luck would be on his side as he rolled over and tightened his hold on his blanket. His shoulders slumped in relief when the knocking stopped. The relief was short-lived when he could hear footsteps coming up the stairs. Even with his dulled senses, he could smell Jared's familiar scent before his bedroom door opened. Oh, man, I'm giving you ten minutes to get up, showered and presentable. His friend pulled the curtains open, and the blanket was yanked from his fingers. Paul held to the urge to hurl into sudden attack on his senses. Why are you like this? He whined into his pillow. I already told Sam I couldn't do patrol. I'd make it up to him tomorrow. Jared tugged him up gently before smacking his cheeks softly. You look like shit, man. He tossed a protein bar into his lap. Did you eat it all? Stop, please. I don't want to get into this right now. Do you trust me? The serious look that Jared gave him was unexpected. Paul sighed. He rubbed his face with his hands, hoping it would rub away his exhaustion, and hoped his stomach wouldn't fight against the protein bar. Yeah, yeah, you know I trust you, he said with a stretch of his limbs. Did something come up? Jared didn't usually look so worked up unless it was pack business, so something must have happened during patrol. He glanced at his phone, where it sat lifeless since yesterday morning. Maybe if you kept your damn phone charged once in a while, you'd be in the know a lot sooner than wolf chat, his friend said. Here, read this. And then when you're done, you're going to liven up 
take the fastest shower known to man and be somewhat presentable, okay, sweetheart? Paul rolled his eyes at his friend, but when he took the offered cell phone away while Jared walked towards his washroom, the phone was opened on a messenger app to a conversation thread with Leah. Why am I reading this? Just read the damn thing, will you? Jared called from the hallway. When he came back, the towel in his hands and he dumped into his lap. Paul frowned but resigned himself to listen to Jared. He looked back at the phone and tapped the screen before it locked. Leah, Kim says there's some girl at first speech. She's worried the girl's lost or contemplating. Gun to check. Jared, keep safe. Leah, girl says she's looking for Paul. Jared, well, Jared, it's been a while since a fling has come around. Jared, tell her he's busy. Leah, Kim says he's out for work. Jared, she pregnant? <laughs> Leah, no, pup smell. Doesn't look it either. Leah, claims it's important she talk with him, though. Leah, name's a mouthful. Hymeny or something. Leah, she's Brit. Thinks she's lying. Don't know how Paul met this girl. Jared, wait. Wait! Leah, what? Jared, Hermione, like in Shakespeare? Leah, sure, I don't know. Jared, what's she look like? Leah, question mark. Leah, tiny, curly hair. Doesn't look like the type of girl probably Paul usually goes for. Jared, keep her there. Jared, don't let her leave. Leah, question mark. Jared, Paul and I will meet you. Give me 30 minutes. Leah, yes, question mark. Jared, just do it. Leah, fine, you owe me. Jared, I'll make sure Kim drops off some of my marshmallow fudge brownies. Leah, and coffee for a week. Jared, fine, just keep her around till we get there. Leah, done. Paul stared at Jared's phone, frozen, his mind no longer retaining or processing any information. He scrolled up to read it over again and again and a fourth time, just staring at her name. That was her name, wasn't it? Jared questioned Hermione. And you said she was British? Paul exhaled, exhaled a shaky breath. Yeah. It was nearly a month ago since he'd been home from vacation when Jared had found out about the imprinting, the only one in the pack who really knew although he's sure that Sam suspected it. Paul had been doing a very good job at nearly drowning himself in his work and pack life not to think about Hermione too much, at least until Jared came to him after patrol one night. So who's Hermione, he asked. Paul paused and dressing again after shifting, stiff in surprise. What? I think that was the name. She your new fling or something? His friend asked with a smile and a nudge. The warning growl that rumbled in Paul's throat had Jared stepping back with his hands up in defense, very aware of how quickly Paul shifted when he was angry. How the fuck do you know about her? Jared blinked in surprise. Her name came up in your thoughts today. I didn't mean to pick up on it, but I mean it's been a while since we'd seen you with someone. She's not like that. Paul wanted to yell but managed to keep an even, if not stern tone instead. Hey man, I'm sorry. I know I didn't mean it like that. His friend's brow furrowed in thought. You gotta know that the pack's been worried about you, right? You've been acting strange for a while. But we didn't want to overstep any boundaries and we gave you space. That was a mistake on our part. We want to help, but we don't know how. Paul eyed him carefully, wolf instinct still too close to the surface and looking for a fight. He exhaled heavily and stepped back, shoulder slumping. Sorry. Jared nodded in understanding. You want to talk about it? Is she your girlfriend or something? Paul squeezed his eyes shut, taking in a deep breath. Imprint, he rasped. She's my imprint. His friend's grin, bright and cheerful, did nothing to lift his moods. That's great, man, he said. Why haven't you brought her around? He didn't answer right away. 
just turned to continue walking, fists clenched at his sides. Yeah, Hermione was his imprint, but she was also wasn't in his life. He had acknowledged that out loud before, and he knew admitting it that she wasn't his would make everything even more real, and that would remove the mask of denial he'd been hiding behind, holding onto like a lifeline. We're not together. He heard Jared's soft, oh, before his friend caught up to him. Why didn't you tell us? I don't want to think about it, he said honestly. They continued to walk in silence, Jared following Paul back to his house, where they helped themselves to the beer Paul had stocked in his fridge. Can I ask why you aren't together? Jared asked after a few bottles in. Paul shrugged. Karma working its finest? He gave a mirthless laugh. <laughs> that I'd meet her on vacation? That the only way I could be with her was it was only for a week? It was just a fling? He sighed at what it felt like the millionth time. We're just from different worlds. She's from the UK. I couldn't justify it to myself to try and convince her to leave her life behind, her family, her friends, and career, just because she's my imprint. And when I thought about it, I don't want to leave the pack. So I decided that a week was going to be enough. He trolled off to chug the rest of his beer. It was all I'd get. Jared didn't say anything. There was nothing more he could say to make him feel better, just empty words, dying hope for a dream he didn't dare wish for more. After a few more beers, the comfortable silence broke. Want to tell me about her? Paul's lips corked into the barely there smile. Well, she was sort of out of my fucking league, that's for sure. An eager shake to his shoulders jolted Paul from his memory, and Jared was grinning at him, urging him up from his bed. Well, unless you want to smell like some musty old wolf when you see her for the first time in months, you should shower. Leia and Kim were stalling for you. Last I heard, when Leia called, she was enjoying Kim's company. Jared scrolled further down his phone, and there was a photo attachment. Leia took a photo just to be sure, but I mean, realistically speaking, how many Brits do you even know who would come looking for you? It wasn't a clearer photo. Leia trying not to be obvious about it, but it was her. The photo didn't do her any justice, but just staring at him gave him a sobering feeling. Do you think that Tying's incision was something that Wolf was trying to tell me, that she was here? George shrugged. It's possible. It's not like we have a how-to guide on imprinting. He pushed Paul's towards the washroom. Take an extra five minutes to imprinting if you're willing to leave your imprint in Leia's care, but expect her to send you some sort of invoice for her services once she figures out why she's forced to play nice with a stranger. Paul didn't hear the rest of Jared's rambling. He just closed the washroom door in his friend's face. The action's mechanical and mind racing. The next thing he knew, he was blinking at his reflection in the mirror, freshly showered. The headache dulled from previously sharp pain. Time's ticking, Jared called from the other end. He'd changed and followed after his friend to the car. An onslaught of anxious emotions hit him like a truck. Fuck. Fuck, what am I going to do, he asked. What am I going to say? His fist clenched his worn-out jeans as he tried to rein in his wolf, his anticipation, and the sudden anxiety. Jared focused on driving but smiled. Well, one, you gotta calm down. When you're gonna see her, have some small talk with us and some food, and then have some real talk later, and knowing you, you'll probably end up on a bed somewhere getting busy. He missed a glance at Paul with a wiggle of his eyebrows in an attempt to lighten the mood. It only earned a small chuckle from Paul, but it was enough. 
considering the roller coaster of emotions going through him. I wish it were that easy. Maybe it will be. You never know. She's here for a reason. But what? Paul wondered. And Leah said, she's sure not, you know. She's not, you know, pregnant? Leah said she isn't. And it's been, what, four months? She definitely smells like she's with Pup, and maybe look at two. I don't know. I don't understand. Paul ran his hands through his hair. Maybe you're a supreme lay, and she was in town, and this is some kind of booty call. I don't know. We won't know until you talk to her. If that tugging sensation is her, maybe the imprinting is just asking for closure. A definition of what you are, together as friends in some capacity, that's longer than the week that you spend together. You just have to try not to stress out right now. Be happy she's here and willing to talk with you. Then be honest with her and go from there. Paul nodded. He didn't see anything wrong with that. But telling him to keep calm was easier than actually trying to keep calm. His heart picked up speed when the restaurant came into view. He rubbed his hands against his pants after he exited the car and took in a deep, but not quite calming breath in. Hermione must use the same lotion or shampoo, he thought absently, when he picked up the faint but familiar coconut scent. He paused at the door for a split second, but when he opened it, his eyes zeroed in on the table his imprint sat at. It was almost like he imprinted for the first time all over again. The bustling noise of the restaurant muffled into the background. Kim and Leia's look of understanding faded with the rest of the world when Hermione turned to look at him. He smiled at her. She was almost exactly as he'd seen her. Riotous curls. Though the weather was doing her no favors in taming it, she, like she preferred it. Instead, the humidity made her hair adorably poofier. His lips corked in amusement at that. Her eyes were as expressive as ever, bright with joy and mischief, but it was the way her brows furrowed slightly that told him she was worried about something. He was in front of her in seconds, hands on her shoulders, making sure she was actually there, that she wasn't a mirage or a very detailed dream. She was here, in a little push, in front of him. God, he thought, not even his imagination had done her any justice. Every fiber of his being, wolf and all, wished to pull her in and kiss her, but he refrained and pulled her into a hug instead. Hermione, he greeted. Hello, Paul. His imagination definitely didn't have that tone down perfect. He couldn't resist the urge that spurred on at the sound of his name from her lips as he pressed a small kiss to her temple. A look at her eyes showed him his affection was happily accepted. What are you doing here? She looked down at her hands with a bite of her lip, but when she looked up at him with hopeful eyes, his own heart felt light, renewed with his own hopes. I really need to talk with you, but... She glanced at the table, and he followed her gaze. Jared had already pulled an extra chair to their table and was chatting away with Kim and Leah in hushed tones. Maybe after we eat? Paul nodded and pushed in her seat after she took it and smiled gratefully at Jared, who'd left the seat next to his imprint open. He'd barely focused on the waiter who took his usual order. A part of him worried that if he looked away from Hermione for too long, she wouldn't actually be there. That this was a very realistic dream. That was until Jared, the ass, cleared his throat expectantly. He rolled his eyes. Hermione, this is Jared. We work together. I'm sure you've met Kim and Leia, and they're some of the best gals around these parts. He praised, hoping that that would lower Leia's waiting requests. 
Her demands for owed favors were getting more and more expensive the way he glanced her way. He knew his praise did nothing by the way she raised her brow at him. Nice to finally meet you, Jerry's earning some curious looks from around the table. I've heard a little bit about you. Hermione cast a worried glance his way, and Paul merely grinned reassuringly with a pat on her leg. All good things, I promise, he said. She rolled her eyes up towards the ceiling like she did when she was both embarrassed but amused by something he did. That really doesn't make me feel any better considering our history and the fact that you're an incorrigible fiend. But her smile didn't waver. He's smart, sitting a little straighter than he realized, and it felt like no time had passed between them at all. It almost felt as though they could pick up where they'd left off however many months ago. He ignored the collective knowing look his packmates shared amongst each other, but Hermione looked increasingly worried or suspicious at their silent communication, no matter how much she tried to hide it behind her amusement. He remembered her small tells, the fidgeting with her fingers, the small pursing of her lips. "'What were you talking about before we got here?' he asked. Hermione lit at the change in conversation. "'Kim was just telling me about some of the local lore around here. "'You hadn't mentioned it before. It's fascinating.' "'Kim nodded, a glint in her dark eyes sharpened on him. "'I was just to expand on our relationship with the wolves when you got here.' "'He narrowed his eyes at her challengingly before turning to Hermione. "'How about I make it up to you by telling you that story later?' Leah laid, leaned forward in interest, already ready to stir the pot when the pack drama provides her with prime entertainment. Why not tell her now? She leaned back just in time to dodge Jared's elbow. Hermione rose an eyebrow, and he knew her suspicion was only mounting now. The way her eyes darted between them, she was too intelligent for her own good sometimes. And he worried that her rational and logical mind of hers would be the downfall of whatever could happen between them. After all things considered, imprinting and shapeshifters and the supernatural were just a little more than crazy to outsiders. I hope I'm not causing some sort of trouble by being here, Hermione asked slowly, hesitant, biting her lip. He, Jared, and Kim quickly chimed in no in unison, although very different emotions attached to it. Leah's smile merely took on a smug air. She said, don't worry, I just like teasing Paul. Hermione looked far from convinced, but nodded. The tension that had been slowly building at their table broke through with the arrival of more food, and they all started to dig in. How long are you in town for? Jared asked. And we're going to take another quick break. Hi, and welcome back to Zeppa Stories. All right, so we're at the home stretch of Chapter 3, Kismet, written by Paramore Party. And we're going to continue reading. So we have Paul and Hermione in the restaurant, and they're kind of talking with friends. So finishing chapter three, we will begin that now. Hermione shrugged, and that did nothing but send more hope to Paul's emotions. I was thinking at least a week, but it's pretty open-ended at the moment. She glanced at him. I have a room booked in Seattle, and some friends are exploring the city. I decided to pass through here to, uh, to speak with Paul. The hand he'd still had resting on her knee rubbed it affectionately. You should bring her around, Kim offered between fries. We pointed out a few of the cliffs on the way here. 
Paul sat up and a thought struck him and he smiled at his imprint. I can bring you on a real nice camping trip, tone heavy with implication. Hermione laughed, hitting him on the shoulder. <laughs> you always like this, even in front of your friends? She asked, somewhat exasperated, but the amused look on her face just spurred him on. Leah snorted. Paul doesn't even have a filter or any kind of boundaries. You sure you want to stick around for him? She challenged. Paul gave clear to his friend who continued their innocent facade. Kim turned to his imprint with interest, waiting for the answer while Jared continued to try to elbow Leah into trying to be subtle, which Paul appreciated the effort, but Leah was in no way a girl I would easily concede. Hermione's earnest eyes focused on him and his heart raced, pounding loudly against his chest, and he knew that his pack could hear it. When she looked away to focus on Leah, his heart skipped a beat out of her words. Yeah, I think I'll stick around for him a while longer. Paul grinned. He knew that didn't mean forever, but it was something. A little hint of her reassuring for being there and reasoning. He couldn't even help but lean into her, a hand running through her hair, making it even a little bushier. He held back the small jolt of surprise when she leaned into him, too. His packmates must have seen something, because when he looked next, they seemed settled with understanding. Jared gave him a reassuring pat on the shoulder, just as they watched Hermione thank Kim and Leah for their time, and promised she'd come to see them again. I know you're worried, Jared said, but I think whatever happens from here on out, it'll work out in the end. You're different around her, and I think it's more than just an imprinting. She's made a lasting impression on you, man, and that's a good one. She's a good one. Whatever the impression you made on her, a good layer, whatever she saw in you, she's here. And that's for you. Paul smiled at him. Thanks. Jared laughed. Wow. I don't think I'd ever hear the day when I'd see Paul so love-struck. He rolled his eyes. Shut up. Jared just shook his head as they walked over to the girls. It was nice meeting you. He gave Hermione a one-armed hug over the shoulders. Don't let Paul secret you away and selfishly guard you to himself. You gotta make sure you meet the rest of the gang later this week, okay? Hermione nodded. Of course, she replied as she watched the trio walk off to Jared's car. She turned to Paul, a somewhat shy and hesitant look in her eyes as her hand reached to hold his arm. He pulled her close, nuzzling his face into her hair. I hope that wasn't too awkward, he said. She shook her head. Your friends are great. I can understand um, any confusion about me. I did come out of nowhere, and I didn't have any of your contact information, which is my own fault and probably seemed like a crazy stalker. She muffled her embarrassed laugh into his chest when he hugged her. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. They probably thought you were a little crazy when they first met you. He winced at his admission. I don't exactly have a great track record with women. She rolled his eyes at him, but led him towards the beach where she must have parked her car. Somehow your reputation doesn't surprise me. You're quite charming. Her tone was playful, but there was still a hesitance in her voice. I'm sure you have plenty of women falling for you, she murmured. Paul frowned, but knew that this was a talk he'd have to have with her. I won't lie and say I didn't used to go around because I did. But for the last while, I haven't been with anyone since you. She paused in her step for a second before continuing forward. Why are you telling me this? Now that it was just the two of them, he could hear her heart racing, the hitch in her breath. It sounded like you needed to hear it, he responded honestly. 
His imprint bent her lip and ducked her head, trying to hide her expression, but he recognized the slightly pleased look on her face. He smiled and stopped, holding her shoulders to turn her to him. I didn't say it earlier, but I missed you. He was thankful that it was dark out as night had fallen. She wouldn't be able to see the way his cheeks must have flushed. Her lip biting didn't cover the joy in her face. I missed you too, Paul. He brushed the back he brushed back her hair from her face, and he didn't miss the way her breath hitched again in anticipation, the way her lips parted. He almost forgot how adorably shorter than he she was. God he would give anything to kiss her right then. But he saw the ways her eyes shuddered with whatever thought had just crossed her mind. They needed to talk first. Let's go back to my place. I can make you coffee, and we can have that talk. She nodded. Okay. It wasn't a long drive back to his home, but it did set his nerves on edge, because even if he wasn't reading her signals correctly, you couldn't just assume that whatever she wanted from him was going to be long-term. He told his tells... He told her to feel at home and left her in his living room while he made the strongest brew of coffee that he could, because he knew that that's how his imprint preferred it. Once that was ready, they settled onto his couch, and he waited patiently as he could for his imprint to open up to him. She moved to say something before faltering and opted to sip at her coffee instead. He chuckled at her. Look, Hermione, this isn't like you. If you're going to distract yourself with coffee, I'm going to take it away so you can actually talk to me. She gave him that stubborn look, and he didn't want to admit that he loved it, but he considered it a win when she just sighed and put her mug down. I I had a whole speech planned out, but it went out the bloody window, and I'm trying to phrase this without sounding crazy, so just, just please be patient with me, and I'll answer any questions you have, or can, you can kick me out, or, or what have you. He rolled his eyes at her, taking her face between both his hands, squeezed her cheeks for a moment, and won't kick you out. Even if you're crazy, just don't kill me, and we're good, so hit me. She pouted when he let go of her cheeks, but she took in a deep breath to settle herself. Okay. Okay, so this is the front of it. I'm a witch. Magic is real. And what I previously thought was just really great sexual chemistry. And you can't fault me for that. I mean, you're fit. And, and you're great in bed, she flushed. Anyway, there was always something more about you that called to me at to my magic. And to clarify, before you get any ideas, magic did not force me to be with you or, or what we have or what I have with you. It's still always my choice to listen to my magic or not when it nudges me down certain paths. And when it nudged me towards you, I followed. Anyway, I, I'm rambling again. She took another breath. When we were sleeping together, my magic acted on our intent. When you called me yours and I agreed that last night, I knew I could probably love you one day. My magic knew. It acted and started a ritual. It's incomplete, but essentially, what I'm trying to say is, my magic chose you as my soulmate. And I know all the soul... Paul surged forward, cutting her off with a searing kiss. He heard magic. He heard that she could love him one day. He heard soulmate, and he couldn't wait anymore. 
If this was just a dream, he wanted to take advantage of it while he still had time. He groaned, and Hermione leaned into him and kissed him back just as heatedly. He pulled her onto his lap and reveled in the familiar way her thighs and legs just fit around him, the way her arms wrapped around his neck and pulled him closer until she wasn't. She pulled away, and his lips chased her, biting softly at her plump bottom lip, but as she pulled away again, this time pushing lightly at his shoulders, wait, she said against his lips. He pressed one more not so chaste kiss to her before pulling away slowly, watching her as she caught her breath, her eyes darkened with that very familiar look of want that he sure was mirrored in his own face. Paul, Hermione, he laughed ecstatic at her revelation. I can't believe this. When he leaned forward, his nose brushing the column of her neck, she breathed her in. Hermione gave a nervous laugh. I don't know if that means you think I'm crazy or not, and... I know our talk-to-sex ratio was probably imbalanced when we first met, but we really do need to talk this through. He kissed against her jaw and tummed in agreement. We do need to talk. I'm serious, she said, even as she melted against the soft kisses he pressed against and along her neck. He chuckled against her. Okay, I'm sorry for cutting you off like that when I said I'd listen, but I'm just happy he said and pressed another kiss to her lips. She smiled against him, but there was confusion in her eyes. So, for clarification, you don't think I'm crazy? He grinned. Not unless you think I'm crazy, too. Are you in the know, then, with Makuza? She asked. And he just gave her a confused look, and she frowned. Or not. His hands came up for they were resting on her lower back to her hips, rubbing circles with his thumbs. What did Kim tell you about our lore and wolves? She blinked at his change in conversation, but he could see the gears in her mind working and clicking the information together. Mostly just the legend where you're supposedly descended from wolves, and your close ties to wolves mean you have a lot of strong laws protecting them. Her eyes narrowed. Are you actually descended from wolves? He nodded, and she just seemed to ease an understanding and a curious look across her features. Not all of us, but some of us are wolves. Leia and Jared for one. Is it like a werewolf, only at the full moon? He rose a brow. Like in the movies? No. She pursed her lips. Then a shifter. Paul nodded. Yeah, exactly. She pouted. That makes so much more sense now, and I'm kind of upset with myself that I didn't see it sooner. She said as she played with the hem of his shirt, I honestly thought you were non-magical. He didn't resist kissing her pout away and took pride and joy with the way she leaned in and followed after him when he pulled away. Hermione, he started, I, I knew the minute I met you that you were mine. Platonic Amanda, it doesn't, it didn't matter which way you'd, however way you'd have me. She looked up at him in shock and moved to say something, but he pressed a kiss to her lips. We call them imprints. And we and we see you for the first time. The best way I can explain it is tunnel vision. I saw you in the lobby when you were checking in, and I freaked out. And I hated it for all about two minutes. Because just like I had no choice in becoming a shifter, I thought I had no choice in my love life. But after thinking about it, I knew that I couldn't leave, you know, British Columbia without meeting you. And then I did, and then I thought, maybe one week was enough. But that was the biggest lie I'd ever told myself because I liked what I saw, and I liked getting to know you, 
as you were, and were not, not as my imprint. And after we were together, I knew I could love you one day, but accepted the fact that we probably would never be together, and I let you go. Hermione sniffed, her eyes watering, and he brushed the gathering tears away gently. Why didn't you tell me? Her voice was heavy with tears. I'm an idiot. I didn't want or want to or explain, expect you to leave your life for me, and I wasn't ready to leave mine, he smirked. Also, after your rambling attempt to tell me you were a witch, um, if you weren't magical, how well would you have reacted to some rando fleeing you know, you told was your soulmate that you were destined to be together, whichever shape or way or form you liked, and I think it was some kind of odd line. She laughed and hugged him close. Fair. I can see to your point. She initiated the kiss this time and leaned in to press the softest, sweetest kiss to his lips. He hummed against her, pleased that he was able to even hold her again. As much as I love kissing you, he said. You said something about a ritual. I don't know anything about witchy stuff, but a supernatural knowledge is limited to my pack and vampires. Hermione blinked and sat up straighter. All right. She leaned back a little to look at him as she cleared her throat. Well, my magic kind of jump-started a bonding ritual the last time we slept together. Most bonding rituals are done during sex rites, and this ritual started when my magic sensed our subconscious intent to want to bond. And well, because I wasn't exactly paying attention to what my magic was doing, our ritual was left incomplete. She frowned slightly. The fact that it was incomplete put a bit of strain on my magic, and now that's how I found out I even had a soulmate. Our signs aren't as clear and defined as yours. They're rather subtle in all honesty and very easy to miss when you're not paying attention. Looking back on it, I should have known something was up. A strain? Are you in pain right now? He sat up at attention. She shook her head. It's not exactly painful. There's just some tension on my magic, like a pulling sensation. It's eased a lot since you arrived at the restaurant. He let go, relieved, sigh, and smirked. And completing this ritual means another round of ritual sex, then? She laughed. Yes. Essentially. Um, does your imprinting have any rituals or markings to complete a bond? Paul shook his head. I really wouldn't know, to be honest. Imprinting is supposed to be rare, and from what we know, kind of one-sided. If our imprintee doesn't want to be with us romantically, then we'll, we'll have them in whatever capacity they'll allow us. So far, everyone I know has actually imprinted on has luckily found romantic partners, but I haven't actually really spoken to them about it. He couldn't help but find Hermione's curious expression as adorable. Definitely different from a werewolf, then. I know they usually have markings for their bonding rites. Like what? A bite is a common one, I think. Paul smirked. I can definitely bite you if that's something you're interested in. I know my wolf wouldn't mind either. He nuzzled her neck again and nipped at just the spot where her shoulder met her neck. Instincts tell me that I'd bite you right here. He chuckled at the way her breath hitched at the hip and how she pressed closer in his lap. And how would your bonding ritual go, hmm? He pressed an open mouth kisses, now tongue dancing up and around her neck, around her ear. She hummed in pleasure a sound he sorely missed. There'd be fewer clothes for one, she murmured between kisses when she pulled his face to meet his. And then I'd just let my magic guide me, and I'd listen this time. 
A trail of clothing led to Paul's bedroom now that they were both aware of their magics involved in their bonding, and it was easy to recognize a heavy feeling in the air. I can't wait any more, Paul, please. He had her spread out on his bed, their hands roving over each other's bodies, trying to match touch with memory. God, he grinned. He groaned against her belly button as he trilled kisses down her body. My memory did not do you any justice. Hermione Grave had a breathy laugh as she moaned when he dipped lower. Don't tease me, Paul. He peeked up at her, smirking against her skin. Let me savor you, this, everything, he murmured against her. She arched against him an invitation. Please, she begged. You're all that I want, he said as he pulled her onto his lap and kissed her gently. For as long as you'll have me, she said, for always. Always, Hermione promised in return. Magic swirled and surged around them. Paul woke well before the sunrise and stayed in bed for just a moment longer to savor the feeling of having Hermione pressed against his side. Having her there eased the slight worry in his gut that he'd made the last that he'd had the last time they'd been in BC, and Paul had to savor the only time he thought he'd have with her. It was a relief to his wolf to know that she wouldn't disappear out of his life as suddenly as she'd arrived again. He'd pressed a kiss to Hermione's temple before slowly slipping from her hold. What time is it? he heard Hermione mumble. He smiled when she tried to blink sleep away from her eyes. Early, still, sleep. He brushed her messy hair from her face gently. She smiled softly up at him, her own hand reaching to brush his cheek. He leaned down to give her a kiss and groaned softly when she nipped at his lips. Don't tempt me, dove. If you're going to leave the warmth of this bed for patrol, I might as well give you something to tide you over until you come back. A little reminder that you're mine. She kissed him again. He surged forward, deepening her kiss. Yours, he promised against her lips, and you're mine. Paul never got his hopes up on the whole imprinting phenomenon, but in the end, he was happy with the hand that Packlife had dealt him. All right, good friends, and that is it, the end of Kismet, written by Paramore Party and... At this time, let's go ahead and dive into commentary. If you would like to skip this part of the commentary and go on to our next fan fiction selection, this would be the time to go ahead and do that. Um, and thank you for listening to this amazing story, Kismet by Paramore Party. If you're going to hang in for the commentary, we're going to begin talking about Kismet right now. Okay, so I thought this was a really wonderful story. It's sexy and it's really kind of romantic. It's more, um, it has more elements of romance than what I'm really quite used to reading and a little bit of angst. Um, so Hermione goes on vacation and has a fling and <laughs> her fling is one of the Lapush um, wolves who imprints on her, which is the character Paul. So this is post Hogwarts battle and Hermione, you know, I am assuming is working at the ministry. I think she is because she has to get time off from Kingsley. And um, so I guess just kind of enjoying herself. She runs into Paul and they have like this amazing week together. And it's all kinds of 
fun, sexy romping, and she inadvertently, um, or their magics, you know, the imprint combined with her being a witch um, gave them a soulmate bond, and so they think that, you know, that they can let each other go, but they can't. So I love the story. It was, I liked that it blended both genres of Twilight and Harry Potter. I kind of liked that, you know, it was her on vacation and she's, you know, very far from UK. And I really liked that neither Ron nor Harry or even really Luna or Harry Potter characters outside of Hermione really made major appearances other than just a supporting character. So that worked really well for me as a reader for the story. Um, for me, it was all about the communication and tension between Paul and Hermione. And there really wasn't since, you know, she was his imprint. It was just kind of a dive in and he didn't expect that this would happen and it did. And... I thought it was just a really sweet, you know, romantic story. So it worked out well. It was a little steamier than what we're used to reading, but the reading was actually, you know, those hot, sexy parts were really written well, so they weren't over the top. They weren't gratuitous or, um, you know, like what you would call shameless smut. It was just fun. It was a fun read. So... Hermione went and got a groove on and <laughs> then turned out that the person that she was with turns out to be her soulmate and she went back for him and I really like that you have that you know she's gone back and you know that it's open-ended and she admits that it's not immediately hardcore love but that she could love him so this is a very adult story um, they're older this isn't high school and you know, you've got Paul thinking that he's not good enough for her. And, but he lets her go, you know, like he spends this one week, this amazing week with her. And then, you know, he forces himself to let her go to his own detriment, you know, and it like makes him physically ill for her to be away. And her too, her magic doesn't respond well to not being with him. I kind of like that being, you know, the brightest witch of her age, she doesn't catch that. She started a ritual, and, you know, Luna is kind of talking to her about how um, that's one of the downsides of being a muggle coming into the wizarding world, that there are just some things that no matter how hard, you know, a muggle-born might try to learn, she just isn't going to find out. You know, they don't they don't know the traditions, and... And I kind of like that Luna talks about this, and it really, you know, upsets Hermione that that limitation is there, and that, you know, um, Muggleborns are at a disadvantage because they don't have the culture, which is, you know, part of the reason for the whole bigotry you know, going on between um, purebloods and, and Muggleborns, that, you know, that there's that disconnect of really knowing things that are essential about their magic so I liked that this author picked up on that and brought that you know into dialogue with Luna and Hermione trying to investigate her soulmate bond I do like that Harry and Ron are supportive characters but they're not in her face you know they're just they're kind of fun they're almost like bungling older brothers and so this really kept the focus very tight on Hermione the writing for me this was comfortable to read 
and I thought the dialogue worked really well. I really liked the cell phone conversation between Jared and Leah. I thought that was that was really well done. It was fast, and when you read it, you know, there's a lot of abbreviation the way that a text would look. So that really worked for me as well. I thought that was a great device. Um, I thought that Hermione in this story, she didn't have all the answers. You know, like we assume that Hermione is, you know, this all-knowing, mega powerful witch that knows everything all the time. And she didn't realize that this magic thing had happened to her. So I kind of like that she was at a disadvantage to her own magic. And, you know, that she finds this alternative or alternate um, magical being that, you know, is a new adventure. I love that she goes back to La Push, you know, she's looking for the reservation and she's driving and driving and driving and she's kind of not comfortable with camping and we know why, because she spent so long camping with Ron and um, Harry, Harry in particular, you know, during the Horcrux hunt that camping is kind of really not her thing. So I can understand that bit of post-traumatic stress syndrome of maybe her being in the car and she's driving and driving and driving and driving and it's the wrong side of the street for her, you know, and she's driving through wilderness and it's kind of snowy and I can imagine that in that drive, and I would have liked if the writer would have fleshed this out, she might have would have had recollections about being in the forest of Dean, uh, camping out and trying to survive, you know, that would make her uncomfortable. Now she does get to the beach and it's the same twilight beach that we're so familiar with and she never gets out of the car you know she kind of has this little mini breakdown and we have Kim and Leah who find her as she's kind of like berating herself and you know really trying to come to terms with trying to find Paul and she's considering that you know what if he's you know, God's someone, you know, is, is he with somebody does, you know, cause she knows really nothing about him. She just spent kind of this week of debauchery with him in a hotel room, you know, and they've met some people, but you know, it was a very sexual encounter, you know, for a week, it was a fling. So I thought that, you know, this was well done. This is a Hermione who is very much in charge of her body and her own future. Um, this is a Hermione that leaves the UK and, you know, she goes to another city or state and she hooks up, you know, with, and is very bold in her choice. You know, she drags him into the elevator with her. They're in her hotel room. So she takes charge and, you know, basically molests this, you know, our, our love interest, uh, the Paul, the character, the Paul character who was imprinted on her. And, um, and you kind of wonder, you know, if he had not have imprinted on her or, you know, how would their story have gone? And it kind of makes you wonder if you could, if you were going to flip this to a non-magical Harry Potter story, could you write the story about, you know, um, a young lady and a man meeting and having this week-long fling and... Do they come back or do they not? Does their relationship continue or not with no magical bond involved? That's something to consider. This could almost be an independent piece. Um, when I think about things like that, I always consider that, you know, the Fifty Shades of Grey book series that came out. And while a lot of people 
are not huge fans of the series. It had its moment of flash, right? And for the writer, might have must have been really quite surprising. So a lot of times when I read these fan fiction stories and I wonder, could the writer rework this in a format that isn't magical and how far could that story go? This is one of those stories that I think you could really pursue because it really does um, reflect real life. I mean, I think that it is probably more common than not for people to have long-distance flings. I think that happens quite a bit. And so to have our heroine, you know, our very pristine Hermione Granger, you know, kind of go to another city and she hooks up with somebody and, you know, they're having this really um, sexual encounter, you know, in, in a week of it, seven days of, you know, just really enjoying that other person or kind of cocooning yourself with a seven-day romance with somebody is that enough to change a lifetime and that that would be something that I would love for this author to maybe explore and that's a good piece of fan fiction writing in my book a good piece of fan fiction writing leaves you thinking what more could you do with the story or did the story leave you feeling satisfied? In this story, you don't have a definitive, clear ending. You you don't have the epilogue of two years later, you know, and she's got a house full of kids and, you know, or are they in the UK? I mean, it just is what it is. You know, you have the tension of them meeting, separating for a while, and this reunion where they decide that they want to be with each other, but it's never defined how they could be with each other because you have this cross-country long distance thing happening between them. So when I say that I think that this is very prevalent, um, this kind of thing happens. Um, I believe that it can. Something similar like this happened in my own past a very, very long time ago. And so it makes you wonder, you know, about people's, um, people get married and they settle into their lives, but I think we all have, you know, unless you marry straight from your parents' house, which does happen, but I think it's a rare occurrence these days. I think many of us have had secret lives before our settled lives. And maybe you have that week or that weekend that was a fling and maybe you never forget it or maybe you do or maybe it becomes a subject you know of a short story piece so for me I thought this was realistic I, I've kind of felt like this had some truth to it and I liked the blend that it seemed believable to me that yes this is something that could happen that you know the the likelihood of two random people, you know, meeting and sharing some time together. Yes, I believe these things happen. Um, that it happened in this fan fiction piece of writing between two different um, book series. It worked for me. I thought it was fun. Um, he was able to accept her magic and she wasn't surprised by what he was. So I thought that worked really well. And I would have really loved to have seen further exploration between these two characters. I would have liked for them to have had the conflict of what do we do now? Is she giving up her life, you know, to go to La Push? And 
Is she his high-powered, you know, employee at the ministry with knowing that, you know, our Hermione Granger is our Hermione Granger? Um, you know, what, what kind of sacrifice does she make or does he go with her? So, I mean, that could have been something that the writer could have expanded on. But as the story is, it still works for me. Sometimes you like a story where the author um, doesn't give you a clear ending because it makes you think about the ending. And I know that right now there's been a lot of decrying and, and defaming uh, Gone with the Wind, the, the film Gone with the Wind. And for many obvious reasons, I can understand, you know, why... Um, a lot of people aren't a fan of that film right now or really at any time but there is one thing about the way that film is made and it's the ending scene you know where um, and if you haven't seen spoiler alert I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give to give you the ending of Gone with the Wind the rest of the film I'm, I'm not even talking about but this is the ending scene so you had Scarlett O'Hara and Rhett Butler and they literally have gone through the Civil War together and they both wax and wane as people through their their time um, living through the Civil War and their bigotry and who they were in those stories. And it's a romance between Rhett Butler and Scarlett O'Hara. And at the end of the film, also the book too, uh, written by Margaret Mitchell, at the end of the story, it has an ambiguous ending. The film really captures it well. Um, the Rip Butler character spends the entirety of his time pursuing Scarlett O'Hara, and she is always pining after another man, a man she can't have. And instead of seeing what she does have, she is constantly chasing what she can't have. When she finally realizes that it is the man she's married to, the man who has loved her, that she wants. She has pushed and pulled him so far and so hard that his love for her just isn't there anymore. And so she chases him down, you know, the epic big, you know, staircase, and he's leaving her. And she's like, don't leave me. I love you. I've come to realize I love you. And he turns to her and he says, frankly, Scarlet, you know, famous, you know, line in, in movie history, frankly, Scarlet, I don't give a damn. And, you know, he opens the door. Now, in cinema, cinematography, when an ending ended in films back then, when your character opened the door and they walked into the rain, it was the sad and happy ending. You know, that was the end. It was the worst at the worst ending. That's how it was going to be. It was the tragedy. When the door opened and there was beautiful sunlight, then that was indication of a renewal or hope or that that wasn't the end of the story. He opens the door and he walks into a fog. So it left it ambiguous. Um, it was neither good nor bad. And that's what really for moviegoers and some of photographers of that time, that device had never been played before. So that's really what clinched the ending for the film. So enough of that. Um, ambiguous endings. Ambiguous endings matter. So in Mildred Pierce, if you've never seen Mildred Pierce, the original um, film, I believe it had Joan Crawford in it. I could be wrong about that. Uh, Mildred Pierce, she'd want to see the black and white version. What makes that film 
so remarkable is that it's really considered film noir. So that means it's all filmed at night or filmed in the dark. So it's a nighttime film and you don't really see, you know, all the action takes place at night. Everything happens at night. Every movie is nighttime. And unless it's like a memory or something, then memories are daylight, but the whole action, all the, all the movement of the story happens at night. Like Dark City, all the action in the movie, sci-fi movie, Dark City happens at night. Film noir means film dark or, or dark film. So it's a nighttime thing. What's interesting about the way that story ends is at the end of the story, um, and I really want you to see the film, I don't want to give too much away, but all I'm going to say is that there's sunlight at the end of the story, and that's where I was saying the device of used by cinematographers back then had to deal with how the movie ended. Did it did it end on a bright day? Did it end and it's raining? And check this out, you know, and look it up on, you know, Google this. I'm, I'm not telling you a lie. Check this out. What I liked about the story is that you had them together and he's going out on patrol and, you know, it's a very warm and fuzzy and she's like, well, let me give you a reason to remember. So you're just, you're still seeing the intimacy between them and we know she's there for two weeks, and we know that she's there for a month later. I really want to know, does she stay longer? Who has to give? You know, um, he basically tells her that her, you know, the imprint is going to force him to kind of be with her in whatever capacity she'll have him. So, and we know that Hermione is a fair person, but we do know she's manipulative too, in her own way. So... Does she, does she give up her life and move there? Does he go with her? I would have liked to have seen that. But how the story ends is fine. I like the ambiguity, the ambiguous ending. I think that their meeting um, was well done. I kind of like how angsty Paul is, you know, and he's manly man and I like her. You know, she doesn't have it all together all the time. Her magic is suffering. I thought those were fun details. And I like that, you know, she she's brave enough. We know she's a brave person, but she's still brave enough to go and pursue this this thing, you know, this memory, this um this man. And, you know, she goes to search out what could be. I like that her friends didn't run her off <laughs> and they take her to, you know, to eat and they stall her so that, you know, that Paul could get to her and that they could, you know, reconnect. So I liked all of this and I think this only seemed like a moment in a much bigger story that could exist. But for what it is, I really love this story. And even more, I loved that Paramore Party allowed me to, with, you know, her permissions, to read this earlier work and get this out here to launch our season four of Seppa Stories with such a kind of erotic and fun read. I loved how romantic this was. And one of the things I really appreciated about Pyramore Party's writing were um, the mature scenes. You know, they weren't over the top. They weren't just rubbing my face into what was going on. It was well written. I knew exactly what was happening without it being overblown or making me feel uncomfortable reading it. So 
you know, it was really kind of hot. It was very hot. <laughs> it, was, it was a nice piece of erotic writing. Well done. And I thought the story was fleshed out wonderfully. So I like this. I would have to give it a five owls. <laughs> you get five owls from me out of a one to five. I will give this a five owls. Well, maybe maybe a four owls because there's not more of it. Paramore Party, you've got to put more chapters in. Oh my goodness, I love this story. So I, I definitely would recommend checking out this writer's other works. I know I am going to. I'm also going to reach out to this author to see if I could read... Um, for your listening entertainment, some more of her work, and we'll be featuring her hopefully again in later episodes of Sepa Stories. Okay, so if you like this, um, I will have more for you, and give me a like, a share, a follow, and let your friends know if they're writing or enjoying fan fiction. We are running forward with season four. There will be 35 episodes, and then we'll see where destiny takes us. Um, I am on Tumblr, by the way, and by the way, I've been scouting stories on Tumblr. I have to say, I have seen some of the most amazing Tumblr pages. Oh my goodness, I am having a blast um, checking everybody's stuff out. And I really like the post. I'm on Twitter as well. And so yeah, definitely um, check this writer out. Paramart Party, P-A-R-A-M-O-U-R. And then either underscore or space party. It's written two words, uh, like a proper name you would find on Tumblr. So check this writer out. Check out her page. And um, let her know if you like the story. You know, our authors want to hear from you. And if you um, want to hear more, you know, let me know. Pop me an email. Send me a message. PM me. Twitter me. Whatever. So we will see you next time on Sepa Stories with another delicious Harry Potter-based fanfiction. Until then, take care. May every blessing find you. And we will see you next time.